Greetings of love in the name of Christ this morning. Glad that we can be here and worship together and praise the Lord for his willingness to come down to earth like that song we just sang and to walk that last lonely mile for us. And uh, certainly it's something that we need to continue to remember is the cost of our salvation and what it means. Otherwise, we will not value it. And if we do not value it, we will lose it. So let's continue to appreciate the work of God for us. This morning I'd like to, um, for a message, think about the subject of prayer. And thinking about um, various aspects of it. Let's like to do something a little bit different. Um, we have school is planning to start on Tuesday. And I thought it'd just be nice to have all the school children come here to the front and we're going to have prayer with them in light of the school year starting on Tuesday. I was going to ask the teachers as well, but um, Brother Jeff is not here this morning. Um, so we'll just have the students come forward. So all the students coming to school this year, please come forward here and just stand here in the front. You can just stand here in a row across the front. That's good. You can stand, you can stand right there. That's fine. Yeah, good. I know there's uh, various opinions about school, and I know that there's various feelings about school. I know some children love school, and some p- children have a little bit more of a struggle with school. For some years, I think in my school years, it was kind of some of both. Sometimes I really enjoyed it. Sometimes it wasn't maybe as enjoyable. But I'm glad, and I'm glad that God has given you this privilege of going to a Christian school. And so we're going to thank God for that, and we're also going to dedicate this school year again to his glory. So let's bow our heads and have prayer together. Father, we thank you for the many privileges you give to us. And one of these privileges that we want to again thank you for this morning is the privilege of having a Christian school for our children to attend, to learn so many important and good things about life, to enable them to equip them to be servants of yours in the future. Thank you, Father, for this privilege. And we pray a special blessing upon each of these students in their lives that they would learn and apply themselves to their lessons so that they can be faithful in your kingdom, in your use in later years. We also pray a special blessing upon the teachers as they take their place day by day and their responsibility to to nurture, to guide, and to teach, that you would bless them also with what is needed. Bless each of the school board members and each of the parents, that this again would be a year that you can bless, because we appreciate and are thankful for all you've done for us. And may, Father, this be a time again of learning and a time of preparation for service for you. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can go back to your seats. The subject of prayer is one that we probably could 
should probably preach on a lot more, more often. I know for myself, I know that I do not pray as much as I should. I know I have opportunities to grow in this, and I would suspect this morning that each of you would probably say the same. There is an aspect of this this morning that I would like to think about as it relates to power with God in relation to prayer. Turn with me to Genesis 32 and verse 28. Genesis 32, 28. This is the story of Jacob, and we are familiar with this story as he was returning to the land of his fathers, and he had left Laban, his father-in-law, and all the uh, conflict that was there, and was returning to his homeland. God had promised that he would be with him if he would return, and so he took God at his word, and now as he was approaching, um, uh, getting closer to, to the homeland, he, he had re- just received word that his brother Esau was coming to meet him with 400 armed men. And you remember that the last time that he had anything to do, as we know from Scripture, with Esau was when he had robbed him of the, uh, of the blessing and the birthright, and how that Esau had promised to kill him. And that's when Jacob, remember, had fled into the land of Haran. And so here we have him returning. And he had, um, Jacob had done a lot of things in his life. And most of the things that Jacob had done were by his own wit. Jacob was a witty man. He was, he was cunning. He could plan things out. You could say he was a super good businessman. And every time you remember that Laban tried to turn something against him so that he could profit and it would be a disadvantage to Jacob, why, Jacob figured a way out around it. And we, yes, we know God was blessing him, but, but, but Jacob pretty well ran his life on his own terms. And he had done fairly well. But it's interesting, you get to this point now, and God had another lesson to teach Jacob. And, and we, so we have him in this passage, in verse, um, verse 28, where we take our text from, where it says, um, And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, which... Who can tell me what the name Jacob means? Deceiver. Deceiver. Supplanter. He said, I'm not going to call you Jacob anymore. I'm going to change your name. After this experience, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. So here we have this idea, this thought of power with God. We're going to look at some of the elementary parts of prayer this, this morning and to understand what it means to have power with God. And I guess the question is, in your life this morning as a Christian, if you claim the name of Christ, the, the question is, do you and I have power with God? Is prayer, prayer more than just a ritual? Is it just something that's a good idea that we should do? Certain times of the day or certain places, certain th- situations... Or is it, is it actually our heartbeat as a Christian? Is it a part of us? And so this morning, do you have power with God? Do I have power with God? That when I pray to God, I expect things to happen. And I could name to you and you can name to me situations in your life where you, you know that God answered a prayer and there was power there. There was power with God because uh, you prayed. 
And, and so this morning, that is, that is the, the burden, that is the concern the, of this message. Let's back up to verse 22, just get the setting here. We want to look at a few things about the life of Jacob and then go on with some uh, more of the, the practical things. Verse, verse 22, you remember here, it was because it was nighttime now. He had divided the, his whole company, his whole, uh, all his servants and cattle and everything into two groups, sent the one group on ahead, and he had done everything he could think of to be in preparation of meeting Esau. And he, uh, then he sent his, his wife and children across the brook, but he stayed there by himself. And we find him here, it was getting dark, and it's interesting, now just a side note here for if you, and I trust you enjoy Bible study, but it's interesting what happens in Jacob's life after dark. Just think about that. There's another time it was dark. And now it's, it's dark. And um, he sent a present ahead of cattle and sheep and goats to try to appease Esau when they meet him. And now he was alone. And uh, verse 22, And he arose up that night and took his two wives and his two woman servants and his eleven sons, and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the, ho- the hollow of, of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, this is the angel said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he, or Jacob, said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said unto him, and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Peniel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. A man who had power with God. A man who would not let go in his prayer, in his petition. He would not stop. How many times in your life, and I think about in my life, when I stopped. And I know we can't in our humanity and weakness, pray for everything that would be possible to pray for. But rather in situations where it's possible that we may have lacked faith and we stopped. We gave up. 
Jacob would not let go. He would not let go. The angel said, let me go. It's getting light outside. And Jacob said, no, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. How did Jacob have power with God? Well, part of it is through the deep recognition of personal need. Jacob was desperate. You know, from his perspective, he had done everything he could think of in preparation for meeting Esau to try to save what he could. I think Jacob was more or less convinced that Esau intended to harm him. What I find interesting is the Bible never even says that, Jacob, or that Esau intended to harm him. Yes, he was meeting him with 400 men, but in Jacob's mind, that immediately meant it was an army. The Bible never tells us that that maybe was just one big welcoming party. Do you know how the human brain works and how Jacob would have felt as he was thinking about this whole thing? And he said, you know, it can't be good. It can't be good. But the Bible never indicates what Esau's intent really was. But Jacob was desperate. He was at the end of all his ideas and all his cunning and all his deception. And now he was alone. He was alone. And he was alone with God. And he had to face the reality of who he was. And that's why the angel, which possibly, we don't know, was the pre-incarnate Christ. The Bible doesn't tell us. But the angel said, what is your name? You remember that the last time he was asked that question, at least in sacred text, he said, my name is Esau. His father, remember, when he deceived him for the birthright and the blessing, he said, my name is Esau. And now the Lord puts his finger right on that very aspect of his life, of who he was, and says, ask him, what is your name? I can almost feel a hesitation in Jacob's voice. He knew there was an angel of the Lord. He knew, at least in general, it was probably a supernatural being. He knew that, I believe, that there would have been knowledge there. And to ask this interesting question of what is your name, certainly he knew the Lord knew his name. But it was for Jacob to answer this time, he said, yes, my name is supplanter. My name is deceiver. And Jacob, owning that name, owning who he was before God, was that point of brokenness and surrender and submission. He said, yes, you know that is exactly who I am. Any one of us in relation to power with God, in power with prayer, 
will have to come to that place where we admit of who we are. And we admit to the deceptiveness and the cunning and the double-mindedness or whatever it is in our own heart. We have to come to that place and say, yes, I'm Jacob. I'm Jacob. That's who I am. It's interesting then, immediately, God said, I'm going to change your name now. It's almost as if, you know, since you own up to the fact that, th- that this is finally who you are. He sure never told Laban that, or Laban's sons that. You know, he, he was still that Jacob there. But now at the end of his rope, we could say at the end of the trail, he was, he was in a vice. And God was holding him tight. Yes, Jacob was hanging on to this in that wrestling match and would not let go of the angel. But there's a sense in which Jacob was also afraid that God would let go of him. And that's why he said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. He recognized, I'm done unless you, the Almighty, blesses me. And because he owned who he was, then he said, I'm going to change your name from being that deceiver, that supplanter. And I'm going to call you Israel. You know, a man of God. You are a prince. And you have power with God. Because thou hast prevailed. You think of this this morning in relation to our lives. Why aren't our prayers more effective many times in life? Do we have power with God? story is told, and maybe I've shared it before over the years, I'm not sure, probably did, but it's one that stood out to me in reading of the life of George R. Brunk Sr., man of God, many years ago, a bishop in the old Mennonite church, a powerful man in spirit and uh, in the word, in scripture, in writings, he, there are several times in his life where he was deathly sick and uh, prayed, and there was a time, I think twice maybe he was anointed with oil, and the Lord saved his life. I think it was the third time, if I remember right, they thought he was on his deathbed, and he said, you know, I'm an old man, I'm ready to go, but his family, his wife begged him, please pray. God would spare your life longer. He said, well, you know, I'm just ready to go. But he prayed again. God would, if he saw fit, would save his life. But it's interesting, his daughter, after his death, which is, the four, I think, the fourth time he was very sick, some years later, his daughter said that the Lord, I think, needed to take Dad in his sleep because he died in his sleep so that he couldn't pray again and stop it. Now, it's an interesting observation. But he was a man of God, a man of prayer, a man of deep faith. I don't know. Maybe God had to take him in his sleep so that he wouldn't stop, stop it again. Power with God, you see. Do we have power with God? Do we have that faith that can move mountains like Jesus said? Well, we notice that Jacob persevered in prayer. He would not let go. It is also interesting how the Lord blessed him. 
He said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And what kind of a blessing did he get? He was crippled. He was in worse shape ever than to meet his brother Esau. The next morning, the sun was beating down upon his head. I can imagine it was a really hot day. And there goes Jacob, limping like with a stick. He couldn't even hardly walk. An injury, a wound by God that he carried to his, to his death. You go back to Hebrews 11. And it tells us there in Hebrews 11 that, that he blessed both the sons of Joseph. It says, leaning upon the top of his staff. Isn't that interesting? He, he was a cripple to the day he died. There, just before he pulled his feet up into the bed and died, he was blessing the sons of Joseph, and he was still holding on to that staff. He was still that cripple. If you and I, in our lives, are not willing to become crippled for Christ, in our humanity, in our old will, and our, lay that down, you and I will never have power with God. He had faith in God. He had faith in the power of God to bless him. That's why he said, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. It speaks to the perseverance that he had in prayer. Well, there could be many other examples of power with God. I'm always um, encouraged and challenged. I'm sure like you are in reading these accounts. Abraham's prayer moved God, moved the angels of God to pull Lot out of that doomed city. Because the last agreement in that prayer that Abraham had with God was, if there's ten in that city, will you destroy it? And God said, no, for ten I won't. But the fact is, I mean, I think Abraham thought for sure there'd be ten. But there wasn't. There wasn't. But God still intervened. And, it's, and if you read that, that account, when the fire of the Lord fell from heaven on the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities of the plains... And that fire came down, and Abraham went out there in the morning. He looked, and there was like a, we'd call it like a, probably a mushroom cloud. As he looked down across there, and he said, you wonder what went through Abraham's mind. There must not have been ten in that city. But the, the scripture says, when the Lord released that fire from heaven, it says the Lord remembered Abraham. Because there was an agreement, there was a prayer, Abram had power with God. And I'm sure Abram was standing there wondering, whatever happened to Lot? Moses' prayers. I talked about Moses, some in the Sunday school lesson. Moses' prayers brought lice and flies and bloody water and hail and death on Egypt. God told him to, but he prayed. And um, he, Moses' prayer brought water out of the rock. Moses' prayer divided the Red Sea. And you go down the list. Elijah's prayer stopped all the rain in the country for three years. And then his prayer brought rain again. And he also prayed far down from heaven. And that happened. You have Elisha's prayers raised the dead. Blinded an army, 
and part of the Jordan River. And again, there'd be a lot more that we could think about. Hebrews 11, 32 to 35 there speak of the many things that happened because of the faithful, we call them heroes of faith, but faithful men and women who had power with God. It says they stopped the mouths of lions and they put to flight the armies of the aliens, you know, had their dead raised to life again, all because they were men and women that had power with God. Now, what's wrong with us? It's the same God. We have the same access, or maybe even more access, to the Holy Spirit. How is our faith in prayer, and do we have power with God? How can we have power with God today? I was thinking about this in relation to the whole concept, and I'm not sure I'll go into this very deeply this morning, but we serve a sovereign God. We say he is powerful, sovereign, and can do whatever he chooses to do. Why do we need to pray to a sovereign God when he already knows what we need? He already probably has the answers to our needs. He has all the power needed to fulfill whatever our request is. Why are we called to pray? Why are we called, you know, if God already knows? Now, I think some of this is based also in the scriptural, scriptural concept of free will. It's based in the concept of free will because we are made with a free will in choosing God. And I believe that the power of God is only unleashed as two individuals as we recognize that free will and call upon God. He's not going to do many times. Yes, we don't know he's sovereign, but he does rely on us exercising that faith and trust in him and understanding, you know, that we have that request that we can make. James 5 and verse 16 there, in speaking just after he talks about Elias, you know, and... Uh, the, the, the dryness of those three years and then calling rain and it came, it says there, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So you think about that in relation to prayer, an effectual fervent prayer. And, and that uh, the ability of God to do, as another scripture says, far more than we can even ask or think. And so that is the provision of God. Now, what is a fervent and or effectual fervent prayer? First of all, it must be based on a faith in God. Jesus said, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you're going to be able to move mountains. Now, I know that's a comparison, but I guess it means that there's many times in my life, in my life that I have not even had the faith of a grain of mustard seed. There's times that I know God has, has moved. I know God is blessed. I know God has intervened, and I thank him for that. But there are times I think I gave up long before in that wrestling in prayer and did not, per, uh, did not persevere, and therefore God could not bless. 
So it is based on faith in God. James 1 verse 6, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Matthew, oh sorry, Mark eleven twenty four to 25. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive. For if ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your, your trespasses. There it's interesting, he ties forgiveness in with power in prayer. And I think it, it, it simply means for us that if we allow grudges in our hearts, we allow unforgiveness in our hearts, we allow those, uh, those interpersonal relationship issues that are not resolved in forgiveness and love, if that is alive in our hearts, I don't think that we can find that power with God in prayer. Jesus said, when you stand praying, forgive. And he brings those two things right, right together. Prayer is also worship. It must always involve the highest respect and honor. And so prayer is worship. It is someone who is lower praying or beseeching to someone that is higher. Prayer is acknowledging that there is a need um, in, in, in this level and it's appealing to someone who has the power in a higher level and ability to answer that. And so prayer is always worship. It involves respect and honor. It also includes adoration and praise and thanksgiving. Why do we enjoy the Psalms so much in their worship and praise to, to God and the greatness of God and all that it, it relates to God? It's because it involves adoration, praise, and thanksgiving. Prayer is always based on love. I found this interesting. Without love, prayer is empty. Without prayer, love is unfulfilled. Now, and so in relation to prayer now, if it is based on love, what, is it not then related to my level of spiritual life and my level of spiritual commitment? If I'm casual and indifferent in my spiritual life, you know, and trying to serve maybe Christ and the world or self and, and, and Christ together, some, try to have it a little bit both ways, you know, that's not true love for Christ. That's not true love for God. And so the power in prayer is going to be based on, on that love relationship to our Heavenly Father. Fervent prayer, I believe, is never casual, but very focused and intense. I know our prayers, all prayers are not equal in a sense. There's times we, you know, and it's a, probably a tradition partly, it's not a bad tradition, but we will bow our heads before at a meal. Or, um, I don't know how you have it, we have a kind of a tradition of before we leave on a trip, we always try to always remember, we, we stop and pray for God's protection before we set off on a trip. It's just something we usually do. Um, but in thinking of that, those you say, well, it's just something that we, we do. It's a little more, you could say, not casual maybe, but it's still something we just, we just have a habit of doing. They're not that, those kind of prayers are not wrong. But then there are times of, of, of intense need. 
And we look like uh, we looked at the scripture in relation to Jacob. There were that prayer was very focused and it was very intense. There's been times, I'm sure in your life, in my life, in relation to the needs, to a specific need, and uh, all that was at stake with this need, that the praying was very intense and very specific and needed to involve, you know, um, the discipline of fasting, you know, as a special appeal to God, you know, for that he would intervene, that he would move. And so... I think fervent prayer is never casual. It's very focused, and it, it is intense. You have Abraham praying there, which we talked about, for the righteous there in Sodom, that God would not destroy the righteous you know, with the wicked. And so there's an illustration of that intensity. And as Abraham kept coming back and saying, well, I think he started with, what, 50? And he kept working that number down just in case until he felt comfortable that, yes, there was going to at least be 10 there. But Abraham kept going back, and he told the Lord, he said, don't be impatient with me, but just in case, maybe there's, you know, 20, and then 10. Well, what is the secret of power with God in prayer? Faith and belief. I believe that, you know, we understand these simple terms, but unbelief stops the power of prayer in its tracks. Unbelief. You say, well, what is unbelief? Well, I would never doubt God or the existence of God. It may not be that kind of unbelief in the extreme sense, but it can be just unbelief in the sense, well, you know, does God pay attention to this small detail? Is, is God listening? Is God paying attention? It can be all kinds of levels of unbelief. It is, first of all, belief in the power of God that God can do. In his wisdom, what he, what he uh, chooses to do. And that's why we also pray many times, and the scripture teaches us that, to pray according to the will of God. And so many times we say in our prayers, you know, if it is your will, and that comes right from the example of Christ there in the Garden of Gethsemane, which, is what, which was the most intense prayer of Christ that is recorded for us. The most intense prayer was in Gethsemane when he said, you know, Oh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And he prayed that intensely three times. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But then it also was paraphrased by saying, Nevertheless, he wanted to be according to the will of his Father. That surrender, that recognition. And we do that many times. We pray, if it is your will, because we want to pray in the will of God. So it is that belief in the power of God, and yet submission to the sovereignty of God. Well, there's this, the secret of power with God is, in relation to that aspect of belief, and faith in him. There's also the understanding of the sovereignty of God and the power that is in prayer. I think many times we don't realize this or understand this. Uh, my wife's niece has been in the hospital there in, in Bolivia for quite a, quite a little while now. Uh, Norman's son, Elaine. 
uh, in critical condition. I'm not sure what God has in mind in this situation. Very, very sick. But you know, you know, prayer bridges all those gaps. We pray for the brothers, the new brothers in the faith there in Bangladesh. Or wherever it is, that's just illustrations. The suffering Christians in Ukraine or, you know, anything we hear around the world. Power in prayer bridges those gaps. And sometimes we say, well, all we can do is pray. And I've tried to weed that phrase, that comment out of my vocabulary. Okay, I understand why we say it, but it's really not a very good thing to say. All we can do is pray. It means, that sounds almost like Jacob. I've got everything all arranged. and Now I just have to have a prayer yet for. Or maybe it sounds like Abraham there with Ishmael. You know, and God came back again and said, no, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a promised son in your old age. A promised son, you know, and then Isaac was born. But, you know, before that, you know, and God promised that again to Abraham. And Abraham said, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, that's, that's not what I that was not my idea. In other words, he said, that's your idea. That wasn't my idea. But we can do that sometimes. You know, all we, all we can do is pray. Well, that's the, the biggest thing we can do. That's the, the best thing we can do. That's the most powerful thing we can do is pray. Forget all the other stuff that we can arrange and rearrange and, and connive to, to happen. You understand what I'm saying? And I know I'm not being critical if someone says that, but. But really, it's, it is the most important thing, not the last resort. There is angelic power. We talked about that last Sunday. The thoughts with the children here. The angelic power. And I can just picture in my mind a, a saint on his knees praying for a situation somewhere else in the world. And God is listening. The angels are listening. And God can just send those angels out to do whatever needs to be done. I, I just picture that's, that's how it works. I, I don't know. There's power there. And as we've heard, you've heard many times, the devil fears nothing more than a saint on his knees. Because there's a power with that that goes out in heaven, and the armies of heaven are at the disposal of the one who is listening to our prayers. That's powerful. And also beside angelic power is Holy Spirit power. You pray for someone close to you or someone that you know who needs God. We're not with them all the time. But you know, we can pray. And God says there's a Holy Spirit that is at work in the world, is at work among the hearts of men. He condemns, he reveals, he convicts, you know, he rebukes. There's a Holy Spirit influence that goes out. And as we pray for those situations where there's spiritual needs, we, we should never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit and what he can do in the hearts even the hardest of hearts, in breaking that down and changing people's minds. 
Well, our attitude toward God and ourselves is part of this. Sometimes it may feel like in Luke 18 there, where you have the widow that kept coming to the judge and asking him to avenge her of her adversary. You know, and the judge just wouldn't do it. Tefani said, you know, this, this woman is bothering me. Just paraphrasing this story, but this woman is just bothering me. And, you know, if I just finally do what she wants me to do, then I, she won't be bothering me anymore. And Jesus used this, you know, in talking about the, the, our Father, our Heavenly Father answering prayer. And how that we are to, con- to continue in prayer and persevere in prayer. And it's not in the context that finally God will do what he doesn't really feel like doing. That's not the context of that, mean- or the meaning of that. But he goes on to say there, that how much more will God the Father answer our prayers because he loves us really, and he wants to answer our prayers. He's not like that judge, that, you know, I don't want to do this. But God wants to answer, and so how much more will he move in behalf of his people? God is not distant or reluctant in his answering a prayer, but he is sovereign, and he is is in his goodness and his mercy. There are times, I believe, in my life where God refused to answer a prayer of mine that... um, was looking back now was for my good and my blessing. And I'm glad that God doesn't answer all of our prayers at times because sometimes we don't always understand some things that he understands and it's a blessing in his goodness that he gives us what is needed rather than maybe what is wanted. We don't, in, in relation to, um, to this, You know, God desires to help us. We must have a penitent heart. And like right after that last story I talked about there in Luke 18, Jesus gave the the story there of the, the Pharisee and the publican that went up to the temple to pray. And again, one was blessed, one was not. And because there was that recognition, again, of that of the brokenness of his heart, when he the publican said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And God blessed him for that. And that was an answer to his prayer because of the condition of his heart. Righteousness is required to have power with God in prayer. Righteousness. James 5.16, we looked at that scripture. It's the prayer of a righteous man that avails much, that has power with God. You look at the men of the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, the scriptural record of those who had power with God, they were righteous men. Were they perfect? No. Did they stumble around sometimes? Yes. Were they broken in heart and humble and meek? Yes. And God could use them. And God could use them in powerful ways because they were broken men. And they could do things that we look at and admire because of that heart they were of condition They were righteous before God. Our present relationship with God will affect our prayers. Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Very simple truth. But it shows the need for a righteous, sincere heart. 
we could ask the question, now in relation to prayer and effectual prayer, I think effectual prayer is not the kind that is used as a last resort. But it's rather the kind of prayer that is a way of life. We can test ourselves. You maybe heard me give this before. But what is our first response in a crisis, in an immediate crisis? When something drastically happens right in front of us, what is your response? What is my response in that crisis? How long does it take in a situation like that till we turn to prayer, till we turn to God? It's a test I think that we should think about. How far away is prayer from, from our lips, from our heart in situations like that? Do we naturally breathe that prayer to God in those situations? Prayer that comes, I think, from an attitude to impress men. The scripture would say that is not effectual. Like in Matthew 6, 56, if we pray to be seen of men, Jesus said that's all the reward you're going to get. Well, the selfish prayers are not effective. We could talk about this some, mentioned a little bit, but James 4 and verse 3, he says, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Also, we think about prayer, that we cannot demand God to answer us. Job almost got to that point where he was almost demanding of the Almighty to answer him, why am I suffering like this? I'm a righteous man. What really happened in that situation? Did, did, was Job able to demand of God an answer? God went silent. And see, like the more that Job pushed and struggled and, you could say, kicked and screamed against his situation, God was silent. And finally at the end, after all the noise was over, God spoke. We cannot demand God to answer us. It is a beseeching. You know, there's no rights there in that sense. God is sovereign. Another interesting scripture is in 1 Peter 3, 7. It talks about a husband and wife relationship and uh, giving honor, as a husband giving honor to the wife as a weaker vessel and being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. I think this simply means that when there's a tension between a husband and a wife, it cancels out the power of their prayers. That's what that scripture means. Your prayers are going to be hindered if you're not working together in harmony as a husband and wife. It cancels the power of the prayer. I think that's one of the reasons, you know, that children in a home where there's a lot of domestic conflict often have a lot of spiritual difficulties. The prayers of the parents are more or less powerless. What about unanswered prayers? Just in closing, a few thoughts. I think all prayers are answered. I think all prayers are answered. The second song we sang this morning, Teach Me the Patience of Unanswered Prayer. And I understand that phrase. We say unanswered because we have not seen a direct, specific answer to what we prayed for. But on the other side of it, I would say all prayers are answered. Sometimes prayers are answered with silence. It's like I talked about Job. 
His prayers to the Almighty were met with silence. One time he said, it's like the heavens are like brass. He said, it's just, it's just not getting through. We're not connecting. And he said, I wish there was a days man that would just, because it just seems like there's this gap, you know, and would be able to lay his hand upon us both and bridge this gap. It's, you know, he was struggling with that. He was struggling with unanswered prayer. What seemed like unanswered prayer. Was God aloof? Was God ignoring him? Was God at some distance? No. God was right there watching his struggle. And God was, in my mind, if you think about the scripture, I think God was choosing his time when he was going to speak to him. And he did not feel obligated to speak to Job any quicker because of Job's reaction or response. Prayer must never be viewed as a means of compulsion. In a sense, to, to, to move God to do what would be against his will. But it's always in accordance. We pray in accordance to his holy and loving and wise eternal purposes. We talked about that, praying in the will of God. And the other interesting thing to consider is that God cannot grant every request that, that is asked of him. God could not answer every request that is asked of him. And I just, you know, I think of this sometimes, whether simple things like the weather, you know, and how many prayers would be, you know, how would God deal with all of this if one saint is praying for more rain and one saint is praying for more dry weather? You know, I mean, in cherry harvest, Rigo is probably praying it doesn't rain and somebody else would like their garden watered and another saint is praying for rain. Can God answer all those? Oh, he can be pretty specific at times. Sometimes it rains here and it doesn't rain down there. Or... But you understand what I'm saying. You know, God has an eternal overall view of this. And so we pray in faith to a sovereign God to oversee and overrule all of that. It is also interesting that God, you know, in relation to answer prayer now, you know, God delivered the three Hebrews, young, Hebrew young men, he delivered them from the burning fiery furnace by performing a miracle. But then many times the martyrs, you know, went through the fire and were burned. So God can do it. At times he's chosen to do it. Other times he says, no, I'm going to allow this to happen. I think another thing to remember is that God is eternal and not subject to time constraints like we, like we are. It doesn't mean that we don't keep praying about even the same situation. But I do believe that there are prayers as they are brought to God. And we have that picture in Revelation 5. I love this, this picture. Revelation 5 and verse um, 18, I think it is, where you have the four and twenty elders and then there's the, they, have the, um, they have the incense, as it were, that they're offering before the throne of God, it says, with the prayers of the saints. So that as the prayers of the saints ascend, God hears that. And the angelic beings are taking those prayers and offering before God. It's a picture of the Old Testament worship, of the incense going up before God. And, and, and he can smell that sweet perfume of the prayers of the saints. 
And you think about that, that God is eternal. And someone said to me some years ago, that means that the prayers also, as they ascend in the will of God before the throne of God, are also eternal. Our prayers answer sometimes, say for a wayward, wayward son or child, but that prayer is only answered after maybe the mother has died and been in her grave for some years already. There's an answer prayer. It maybe is just a picture of what I'm talking about, that the prayers before the throne of God are eternal. Her prayers were still there. Her requests to God were still there. Can we reach in our day-to-day into future generations? Can you pray for, for the generations following you? And those prayers will be effective before God? I believe so. There's power there. God is eternal. And as those prayers are there in the presence of God, I believe they also become eternal. I'd like to close just with the words of a familiar hymn. There was a few verses to this hymn that I didn't realize were part of it. We sing, we sing some of these sometimes. It's a simple, some simple truths, but listen carefully. It talks about prayer and the different aspects of prayer. Prayer is the soul's sincere desire, unuttered or expressed, the motion of a hidden fire that trembles in the breast. Prayer is the simplest form of speech that infant lips can try. Prayer, the sublimest strains that reach the majesty on high. You think about that comparison there in that, I'll just stop here for a minute, in that verse. That prayer is the simplest form of speech. You can teach a little child to pray. They grasp it. They understand where God is. You can teach them that. Teach them how to pray to God. It's simple. A child can grasp it. the simplest form of speech that infant lips can try. And then he says, prayer is the sublimest strains that reach the majesty on high. You think of the most, uh, the sublimest of prayers. Say like of Jesus. Maybe his John 17 prayer. The prayer of God, or Jesus to his, his heavenly father. It's all that range in between. Well, prayer is the Christian's vital breath, the Christian's native air, his watchword at the gates of death. He enters heaven with prayer. Prayer is the contrite sinner's voice returning from his ways, while angels in their songs rejoice and cry, Behold, he prays. The saint in prayer appear as one the saints in prayer appear as one in word and deed and mind, while with the Father and the Son sweet fellowship they find. Nor prayer is made on earth alone, the Holy Spirit pleads, and Jesus on the eternal throne for sinners intercedes. O thou by whom we come to God, 
the life, the truth, the way, the path of prayer thyself hath trod. Lord, teach us how to pray. May God bless us this morning. Let's just allow this all to encourage us. There is power in prayer. Do you and I have that power in prayer? Do we have power with God? That when we pray, things happen. Let's concentrate on this. Let's grow in this. When you think about the provisions, there's another whole aspect of this message we could have looked at. You know, the provision of God, all that God has at his disposal to meet our needs, it's all there. Let's never waver in our faith and in our understanding of what God wants for us in our lives. Let's kneel together for prayer. Father, we come to you upon the earth here, kneeling upon your footstool. We thank you that you humble yourself to look upon this earth. You, you deal with us in your mercy, your love, and in your sovereignty. We thank you this morning, Father, that you give us so much hope, so much encouragement, and so much faith as we um, open ourselves to you in our hearts. We know, Father, that at times... We have allowed unbelief to enter in. We have allowed uh, a lack of faith, and we have uh, just not exercised the, uh, the provision of prayer as we should have. And Father, we seek your forgiveness, and we, we want to do better in understanding the power that we can have with you in prayer. And Father, we just pray like the disciples, teach us to pray. Help us to understand the realities of life. And Father, we just know that as we avail ourselves of this, that there will be changes. And Father, may we be a praying person, persons. May we be a praying, uh, may we be praying families. And may we be a praying congregation that we can experience your power, your love, the manifest of your sovereign, sovereign will. And so Father, we just pray your continued blessing upon us. We, we pray for the various needs that we are, that are on our minds around the world. We pray for Elaine there in Bolivia and her, um, her health experience there, and may your will be done. We pray for the Christians struggling and suffering in Ukraine. We also, this morning, pray for the Bowman family there in, in Raymond, Alberta, and we pray for Sister Marlene in the last days of her life, that you would bless her with grace, with strength, the nearness of your presence, bless the family as they are there and standing around and seeking your grace. Father, we just pray that you would uh, comfort them. May your will be done. And Father, in all of our lives, we do not know when our last day on earth will be, but we know, Father, that there can uh, be that confidence and that assuredness that as we have our faith and trust in you, that we can be ready to go at any time. So we just pray you be with us. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen.